Previously on Wild Endeavors. In pursuit of Zebulon's second task, the companions went to Heaven's End to meet the vampires of the Harmony. The elder vampire, Demetrius Truth, offered to grant the group a favor if they were victorious in a fight against the Gridley twins. At first, the companions seemed wildly outmatched. Some magic from Rackham's patron evened the odds, and the party emerged victorious. However, the vampires discovered that Rackham's magic actually burned the very souls of the twins, and Demetrius threw the companions out of the manor and told them to never return to Havenwood. Luckily, having technically upheld the agreement, Hans remembered to ask for the blessing of the Harmony, and the party is able to leave with their task complete. This is the Shadows Campaign, featuring Evan Chamberlain as the Tiefling Warlock, Rackham Bane. It's just, uh, my life does not belong to myself. Devin Salisbury as the human gunslinger, Quintus Arias. I'm gonna fire my gun, because, you know, my gun. Adam Rogers as the human fighter, Hans Greger. My big, fancy, shiny, cleaned-up sword. That's hopefully gonna get bloody now. Amy Jostino as the tiefling thief, Calico Bane. I don't want to steal his gold. Well, I'll take a little bit of it. I'm a thief! And I'm Thomas Marsetti. I play the human dungeon master and wordslinger. And now, Chapter 25, Uninvited Guests. Calico, Quintus, and Rackham stand in the road just outside of Havenwood. Under threat from the Harmony, you have been banned from the city. However, your contact Zebulon is still inside. What would you like to do? Yeah. Okay, can we tell the Chinchilla to tell Zebulon to meet us somewhere? Your clockwork Chinchilla from Hell House? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, nice. I like that a lot, actually. Where would you like him to meet you? Okay, so let's just have everybody meet us at the chapel, then. The chinchilla sits in your hand, looking up at you expectantly as you dictate a message to Zebulon. Some sort of mechanism inside the thing recording the short set of instructions. Then, as if it were drawing a breath, the little silver plates that make up its body expand slightly, and then little gears and clockwork insides begin to spin and whir as it runs and jumps off your hands and scampers away. You watch it scurry under the preternaturally dark sky until it's just a pinprick that you lose track of before it hits the lights of the city. It's about half an hour before it comes scurrying back. When you scoop it up, it starts to play a message. It's a recording of Zebulon, but it seems he didn't know that it was recording a reply. Good. Hopefully those gnolls didn't eat all the bodies. And hopefully these newcomers don't think I'm at their beck and call. Sending a metal rat to fetch me. There's a series of shuffling noises, papers, some clothing, something like furniture, and then... You're still here. True. Be gone, you little tin pest. And then the recording clicks off. You make your way back to the chapel. It's about half a day's walk, so you again arrive in the little abandoned town around what would be sunset if there were a sun in the sky. 
The chapel looks no different on the outside, a little run down, still mostly intact, but apparently abandoned. A clasped sentry appears from a nearby house and escorts you into the chapel. Inside, the main room has been transformed into a little command bunker. Maps and supplies set up in ways to hide them from view outside. A few lanterns, enchanted so their light isn't visible to anybody outside the room, illuminates the space. Some bedrolls and sleeping class members line one wall. They are probably the morning watch. It's a couple hours before Zebulon arrives. The sentries are expecting him, and they usher the finely dressed tiefling into the chapel hall. The enchanted lanterns cast strange shadows across his white skin and hair. The shadows seem to accentuate his orange eyes. He brushes some dust from the road off of his white and green pinstripe suit and says, You have, uh, done uh, what I asked you, more or less. Uh, shame about what happened at Heaven's End, but... Oh, you heard about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It is, it's not often that, uh, the Harmony are in such rage. So, it has spread quickly. Uh, I say we, we have to be much more careful about who we let in the group from now on. A fair <laughs> point. Uh, but you did secure the, the blessing, is that right? Correct. Yes. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, what does this do? Well, in Kasaro Keep, the blind god can read your thoughts more directly than anywhere else. The blessing should keep your thoughts from being passively overheard, which means your intentions won't be immediately known. However, if you draw too much attention to yourselves, you may draw the attention of the blind god as well, and then I don't know how much it will protect you. That sounds very, very important. Cue the getting ready for the heist montage with a voiceover from Zebulon. From the treetops, members of the class use enchanted spyglasses to study the cliff leading up to Karsaro Keep. There's a small tunnel that water, waste, and blood flows from the dungeons. I'll mark the exit spout on this map. If you're going to sneak into the keep, this is your best bet. Once you get through the pipe and the dungeons, the real challenge begins. Cut to a scene of extravagantly dressed nobles. The amount of wealth these people are wearing would choke a peasant. They move through lavish hallways, massive ballrooms, and laugh at witty banter in sitting rooms. The big problem will be your clothes. Should you make it this far without them being covered in sewer, they will still be hopelessly outdated compared to the guests at this particular party. Fashion has not died in Saramore, but it takes a backseat to other concerns. At best, what you are wearing is now centuries out of style. It'll probably help you to avoid suspicion at a distance, but not so up close. So you're saying we over clothes? That is certainly an option, though the keep and the guests will be very well guarded. There is, however, another option. You could try to find some clothes. Luckily, during my visit, I was able to visit Xavier Cassaro's dressing room with him. We were... uh, Let's just say he had clothes to suit a mighty variety of interests. His room is on the fourth floor. If you get there, you can almost certainly find what you would need to blend into the party completely. 
Would I be able to sneak onto the fourth floor with my thief abilities? No. Mm, hope so. I like being in the list. <laughs> Cut to a scene of a party winding down. Nobles are being helped into carriages and riding off into the night. Time will be of the essence. The last of the guests will be escorted from the keep before midnight. This is to avoid the guests receiving the curse and being stuck in Saravor. Once you no longer have the cover of the party, it will be much harder to move around the manor undetected. As far as getting yourselves out, there I can offer no advice. The second story of the keep has many libraries and sitting rooms with a plethora of books. You may find some clues there if the people at the party prove unhelpful. Cut to a scene of armed people, uh, clearly guards walking the walls around the keep. They wear light quarter plate with doublets of maroon. They wear the crest of House Carsaro, a tree with the branches and roots arcing down and up, respectively, to intertwine with each other and form a circle around the trunk of the tree. Here, Sharkin chimes in. Didn't I tell you? There's a reason this place looks like a manor, but everybody calls it a keep. It's one of the most heavily protected homes I've ever seen. If you start drawing attention to yourselves, the, the guards will see to it that you regret it. Cut to a scene of clasp operatives pressed against the wall near a window. They carefully peek inside at a party filled with nobles. If uh, we all have to enter through the dungeon, we may draw too much attention. Uh, I have identified a number of locations on the cliffside of the keep that we can post up on scene. However, we will need somebody on the inside to let us in. The more of us you can let in, the easier things will be. Huh? Are there any questions that you have for Sharkin or Zebulon before you guys go in? I want to ask Zebulon, like, how we should act. He's been around these people. Like, should we act like we're all super smart? Should we act like we're, you know, having a good time at the party? Should we, what should we, what should our demeanor be? Well, um... If you want to draw the least attention, I recommend you act like an aristocrat. Uh, specifically, act as if you believe you're better than everyone else in the room. Now we really need the answers. So, like Leandro. Yeah. But have I recommend Zebulon yet? No. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna be like, oh, hello, I don't think we've met before. Uh, my, my name is Rackham. Uh, pleased to meet you. I'm better now, just so you know. Um... Uh, that over there is my sister, and I point at Calico. And those are my new friends, um, Hansel and Greg. I, I shake my head. <laughs> Not he, my friend. He gives you a, an amused look. Very good. I'm Zebulon Davenport, uh, the the finest incorporation specialist in Havenwood. I, I I don't I don't know what that means, but it sounds important. And um, thank you for helping us. Would the people at this place have been invited by somebody, or they just know, like, to come and... Yes, they would have been invited by if the Sorrows. So you're saying okay. if we get noticed, we'll die? If you're lucky. Guys, he says if we get noticed, we'll die. The other if option is we get tortured, I think. So he said to, like, act like... Or you said to act like we're better than everybody, but, I mean, we probably want to act like we're better than some people, but we don't want to, like, start talking ourselves up so much that people start talking about us, though, right? 
I think that you underestimate the vanity of the people at this party. Uh, in one night, you would... It would be very unlikely that you could talk yourself up enough to get them to talk about you. Okay. If you do something stupid or uh, uncouth, that will certainly get them talking about you. So maybe we don't do any sort of soul fire spells. Uh, I'm sorry, what? A, a what? Maybe maybe you should just not, not speak too much during this excursion. Yeah, if there's a way to make him, like, to where he can't talk anymore. <laughs> I got us in the place last time. Why would I not want to talk? Uh, yeah, but, but, I mean, you did really well and you saved us, but that could have gone really bad for us. So okay, I promise not to burn souls this time. I'll only yeah. burn their bodies instead. In the extreme circumstances, when I tell you it's okay. Okay. You, okay, sister, I will, I will do that. Okay. So what's our... Our end game here. Are we like looking for a room that has like a portal or something? Or I don't, I don't. Really... So this was uh, my idea, Hans. I don't know if you'll agree, but uh, I think we need to get in, find clothes. I think would be our top priority, so we can maybe not draw any attention more to ourselves. Then we might need to go to this library and find maybe that has information on maybe what we're trying to look for to like get this curse off of us? I don't know. Zebulon, do you know how we can get out? <laughs> like, if we get into this place? I do not. Okay. Uh, but then you, you came from the outside world, right? Right. Um, the majority of the guests will leave through the front door blissfully unaware that anything untoward is happening behind them. It is after midnight that the curse takes hold. It is my understanding that a few of the guests will be invited uh, to stay and be guests of the Carsaros indefinitely. Uh, but the majority of them will have no idea. So, but we're cursed. Right. Uh, so we have to lift, we can't just walk out with the, the other people leaving blissfully, right? No, no. But the Carsaros uh, occasionally venture outside the shadow. So they have some way of, of either eliminating the curse temporarily or some kind of creating some sort of loophole. It'll just be a matter of finding whatever it is they use. So basically we just have some eyes on them and see if they leave at some point. Maybe. I feel like they might have that secret head in one of the libraries. So the shark and what do you what is the class plan on doing as soon as they find members of the silence? I can't imagine you're just gonna toast them. That's not how thieves battle. <laughs> obviously. Sneakier than that. As Calico says, obviously. We will uh we will certainly disappear any of the members of the silence we find on their own. Uh like but it will certainly at some point come to blades and uh I find it unlikely that the silence would uh fight us in the open. Uh if we discover where they are, it will it'll be blades out among ourselves. So this you this won't erupt in the middle of the ballroom. Probably not. But we will certainly not give them any chance to escape. And Sharkin saying that is a reminder that that is another option for a way out. That the silence have been coming and going from the shadow for quite a while. Another wrinkle on top of that, Hans. You remember you were hired by Leandros and Than 
to stop a, a great evil, which uh, they later revealed was that the leader of the silence is trying to become a lich. And spoiler alert, that might coincide with the party. Maybe. Wah, wah. <laughs> All right. There's going to be a lot of shit going on, just to be clear. I feel like we need to get like a member of the silence in a room or something and ask them how the hell they move back and forth for one. I've got truth serum. Because that seems to be our only shot of being of getting information from a person without like walking up to me and trying to like pay them off because I'm sure certain they would have just immediately go and tell the Karsaros and then we are trapped there forever. So Calico, you said you had truth serum? You think that'll work on one of these guys? It should. Alright. So then the montage cuts to a scene of Calico with a mortar and pestle, um, you know, little vials of liquids that she's combining, one that she's heating up in the, the embers of a fire. Um, what all are you going to make in terms of poisons? I'll, I'll make a truth one, like I said. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'll have the bloodweed, which is extra damage. Mm-hmm. And the golden root which is the trusted thing mm-hmm. might help us. Can I make another, like, deathly poison kind of thing? Like I used on then? Is that too complicated for that time frame? You could make it, but it would it would basically count as, like, making two poisons. So you could get you could get one of the three that you just mentioned and then, like, a, a deadly poison. Well, I've already got some of the other stuff, so I can make the truth and the deadly poison. Okay. I'm good with that. Then we cut to a scene of Rackham sitting in that underground garden below the chapel. Most of the body parts and the gore left by the Knolls has been cleaned up, but there's still more than most people would be comfortable with. Rackham, however, does not seem perturbed. He is engrossed in his book. I want to read from my codex. I want to want to see if I can see something in the near future. You want to use it to read your fortune for the near future? That's what I meant. Okay. Roll plus whiz. Uh, Twelve. Okay, so you get two of those questions. Your greatest opportunity right now, who impedes your goal, who is an ally you should not trust. Uh, the first and the last. So again, you sit down with the Fiasco Codex. The thick tome is filled with a ra- seemingly random collection of passages, numbers, sketches, and symbols. Long dead and utterly alien languages lay out a labyrinth of otherwise unknowable secrets. You know that it is only through a gift of your patron, the King in Yellow, that this book makes any sort of sense to you. But even then, your understanding of it is incredibly limited. As you skim through, stopping here and there as you are drawn to certain words or passages or drawings, you get a very clear sense that there is a significant opportunity for you that lies with the blind god. And then also as you are reading, searching for answers in the in the codex, you see this image over and over again of Quintus uh, wrapped in shadows, cast in a light that makes it clear like he is not to be trusted. It's fair. What can I do? We then cut to Quintus using some of his tools as well as some of the tools that the class has, and he is toiling over a workbench. I'd like to know if it's possible uh, in any way for me to craft a silencer for my gun. And if, like, not like a full silencer, like maybe like a one-use one. Go ahead and just roll 2d6. Oh, oh God. 10. 
you're able to craft a silencer. Given, you know, it is a little bit quicker um, time than you'd like. The tools are not quite as good as you'd like. The materials are not exactly what you'd like. So you're not sure how many times it'll work. Okay. It'll, it should definitely work at least once. And then beyond that, it's kind of questionable. Cool. Cool. And my, I think my last thing I want to do um, before, like, we would leave and whatnot, mm-hmm. I'd like to focus in if I can, and see if I can sense the bullet that I left in Leandro's and see if his body's still where we buried. The bullet is definitely in that grave where you where you buried his body. All I needed to know. Cut to a mini montage within the montage of Hans cleaning, sharpening, and polishing his sword. Then of Hans pacing around the inside of the chapel. Then of Hans cleaning, sharpening, and polishing his sword. And then of Hans pacing around the outside of the chapel. Hans is ready to go. I mean, he's, he would rather be ready to go in and fight, but it's going to be very difficult for him because the idea is to really not get into a fight. To be sneaky. So. Or at least fight quietly. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be interesting. Cut to Zebulon picking his way carefully through the gore-spattered catacombs of the chapel. As he goes, he periodically stops and picks up a body part, examining it very carefully and then gently placing it back on the ground. He seems very pleased. A couple days go by, and you realize that Zebulon has been down in the catacombs without re-emerging. You find him in the room with all the stone coffins where the Noel pack leader was. The room is now spotless and well lit. The stone coffins that have been overturned or broken have been repaired. They are all now filled to the brim with that strange teal liquid. And all the coffins along the wall seem to have been repaired and their lids are now closed. And anything else that may have been left in the room is now gone. So any loot that you didn't write down from the Knoll fight is gone. All in all, you took about a week to prepare and rest up. You have all your health back now and all your debilities should be cleared. The time frame was really not up to you because you had to wait for the Carsaros to throw a party. It takes a little less than a full day's walk to get to the keep. Most of the land between Havenwood and the keep is covered by gently rolling hills that were at one point almost certainly farmland, though several centuries without sun has changed the agricultural breakdown of the valley. The path you take doesn't take you near any of the farmhouses, but you can see many in the distance. Some look run down and abandoned, while some glow gently with candle and lantern light. These are not the small town farmers that Hans talked to in Charwood. These are large plantations that likely have large household staffs, and probably plenty of armed guards. So you make no fire at night, and are not bothered by keeping your distance. About two-thirds of the way into the trip, light comes into view on the horizon, like a lighthouse appearing in a fog bank. It will be many more miles before you can start to make out details of the keep. But as you draw closer, the keep seems to rise higher and higher in the air, as you realize just how tall the cliff is. Where the rest of the valley gently slopes into a medium-sized mountain range around Saramoor, this section of cliff juts straight up out of the ground, thousands of feet in the air like a tombstone. High atop it sits Karsaro Keep, 
sweeping Gothic architecture somehow blends seamlessly with utilitarian fortifications. The result is an elegantly hulking beast that seems to stare out over the valley with hundreds of glowing windows as eyes. It is nearing evening, and the party will be starting soon. Using Zebulon's directions, you find a section of the cliff wall that appears flat and unremarkable at a glance. But with Zebulon's directions, you know where to look to find where it doubles back on itself, creating a small gap that you can squeeze into and shimmy through. A short climb up a gap and then a crawl through a tunnel leads you to a tiny waterfall that is fed by the sewer pipe from the dungeon above. The climb is tough, but it is not as difficult as the sheer cliff faces on either side. After a couple hours, you stand on a small ledge. Opening onto the ledge is a small cave. Really, it's little more than a nook in the rock. Inside that, though, is a hole that has been tunneled into the earth, with a large iron gate covering it. On the other side of this grate, on the other side of this tunnel, is the dungeon and your way into the keep. What would you like to do? It's, it's like covered by the grate, so can we try to pull it off? Or sure, yeah, I'll try that with some help, hopefully. So Quinn starts pulling on different sections of the grate, like looking to see if this bar is looser than this one, and doesn't seem to be having a whole lot of success with that. Can I try to like uh, like lever my spear in there and help pry it off? Yes, and. You feel like there's this one point where you're like, you're getting a really good, like, really, like, this is gonna... And you start to hear the the shaft splinter just a little bit. Oh, and decide, no, no, like, no, maybe... No, no, no. I like that spear. Uh, I have a thing called Ben Barr's Lift Gate, so can I try and you lift sure the gate? You sure do. You sure can. <laughs> that is an 11, and on a 10+, plus, I can choose three of these things. So I want to do that it doesn't take very long time, it doesn't make a lot of noise, and nothing of value is damaged, so... Okay. Hans apparently watches Quinn and and Rackham like try their <laughs> try their luck with this gray and kind of watch them like and then like nothing really happening and I mean how do you want to tell me about like you getting them out of the way so you can move up there Hans I feel like I kind of walk up to them I just kind of push them nicely to the side I mean I'm trying still to be quiet and stuff because mm-hmm. it's pretty sure it's a dead end Hans you don't want to try it man. And um, I'm just trying to show my. I don't know. I don't need to prove my strength, but so I'm not going to be flashy about it. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to just go up to it, grab a hold of the bars that I can, and you know, they kind of just sure. try and force it up with both of my hands. And it's probably not going to be simple, but I feel like I can lift it up enough. So Hans moves up there and grabs onto this grating. You were hoping to kind of like lift it up to kind of like slide up so you guys can move underneath. And you, as you start to like lift on it, you realize you're basically just going to have to like rip it out. So that's what you do. You make it look easier than it is, uh, particularly because you're trying to be quiet about it. You just, there's a little bit of flex and you feel it starting to shift a little bit. And then you give it one good yank and there's a little sound as it like breaks free from the rocks. And then you've got this big grate in your hands and you turn it around and I think as you like swing it like Quinn and uh, Rackham have to like back up so that you don't like hit him with the gray and I'm, I'm just looking at him the whole time like that was amazing I'm holding it off to the side and I kind of gesture for them to come in and um, once they come get into the tunnel I kind of like turn around and like place the gate back in place oh yeah okay and um, obviously, it would be much easier to take down the next time or whatever, but at least right. it had to be the appearance that it was back up in 
So you didn't pick the it's easy to fix. So I think like you try to get it back into place, and it just kind of tilts just a just a little bit. So like you can tell it's not like there's the space like above and just below it, like where the thing is kind of tilted. It's very clearly not in the place it's supposed to be. But somebody from below, if they happen to see it, are not going to notice it's out of place. And if somebody is coming down to this point from the other side, they're probably onto you anyway. So. All right. So you are in a tunnel. Um, it's about like a five feet in diameter. So you guys are all kind of having to crouch just a little bit to make it through. And there is some water and some other solid type material kind of flowing past you, uh, like uh, past your feet as you make your way up this tunnel. The tunnel is on a very, very slight incline. And so you spend a, probably a good 45 minutes or so just crawling up through this tunnel. While while we're climbing, Rackham very audibly goes, Haha, this reminds me of that one time, don't you remember? And nobody. And I turn around and I say, do you remember that time I said that you're not supposed to talk anymore? <laughs> um, that's not how we handle this. I like it. I wasn't talking to you anyway. I will, I will light a torch, but I'll be like towards the back of the group, so. Don't you think you have night vision? Yeah, you two have dark vision. Um, oh, okay. but you're with ah. two humans who don't have dark vision, so. And they can suck it. Quinn's. Oh, well, I can tell Hans that I can hold his hand so he can see. I will guide him through. Not in a weird way, but. No, I know. I'm so, I know what you're doing. I'm light a torch. Seeing her do that, I'm gonna try to grab Quinn's hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perfect. I'm gonna push him down if he tries to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try to do it. Rackham, give me a defy danger strength. Nine. Okay. So you go to you go to take his hand, and he just kind of like uh, flips it out and like pushes you back, and you stagger a little bit down the tunnel, but you're able to keep your feet. What is the order that you all are going in? I can go first, and then Hans will be after me, I guess. I'll go after Hans, and Hans will be behind me, holding my okay. hand. I'm going to hold the torch, like, any chance I have, it's going to get real close to, to rack him. Like, I'm, like, I'm going to care. The next time he starts talking again, I'm going to, like, I feel like I'll, like, reach my arm back and just, like, put my very large hand on his face. Rude? Please stop. Your hand smells like chicken, and I don't like chicken. So after about 45 minutes of that, three stooges um, clip that you come to a slightly larger opening. It basically, it seems like you're kind of like stepping into like the bottom of a well. The path forward like ends and this tunnel that you're in starts going like kind of like straight vertical. It's like it rises up a good like 20 feet or so. And then from there, it looks like the, the tunnel continues forward. Okay. So given your order, probably only Calico and Hans can kind of see where this is going from here, and you two are very close in this space. But, like, all four of you cannot fit in the space at once, so. Well, I've got um, adventuring gear. Does that help me? You get to tell me what is in your adventuring gear and how you're using it. So I have to make that up? You get to make that up. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I have rope, a grappling hook. Okay. You can have the grappling hook. That's one item. So write that down underneath there. That you, it's, you have one grappling hook and four uses left of your adventuring gear. Cool. And so you're just going to grapple up there? Yeah. Then that makes that very easy to climb up there into the next tunnel. 
This tunnel's actually about three feet in diameter, so this one you are going to have to kind of crawl through. The tunnel extends about ten feet before it arcs upward up to, like, a floor vent. But if you are continuing in that order first, like Calico, you are coming up against this grate. Given the way that the, the tunnel bends, like, you can kind of get up and, like, get your face against that grate and see that, like, mm-hmm. opens up into, like, a hallway above you. And then Hans is right behind you. This grate seems pretty secure, like, in the in the ground. Um, or just heavy enough that it you would have a little bit of difficulty um, lifting it if you tried. Can Hans do it? Is there enough space for him to, like... This is only, like, three feet of space. Does it open up more to the grate? No. If you want to let him, like, wiggle by you, there'll be a... A sexually charged awkward moment of you two like oh, sliding. Okay. <laughs> oh, sexually charged. I'm saying it's sexually charged. Uh, get weird. Hans um, thinks that you two are like real close. <laughs> that's why it's just her. No matter what. Um, so Hans squeezes by, apparently enjoyed it. And Sorry, everything we tried. For Hans, it's it's easy to just kind of, like, pop it up and slide it over. So, Hans, you pop your head up into the, the hallway. From where you are in the tunnel, like, to the left, the hallway kind of ends just, like, about five feet back. Um, and then to your right, the hallway extends down a good ways into the darkness. Without the torch, you can't see. But yeah. you do get the sense of some cells in the walls next to you. Like prison cells? Like prison cells, yeah. And there's nobody in the cells that I can see? Not that you can see, but it's also dark up here. So if they weren't moving around or, like, right, like, pressed against the bars, you wouldn't see them. Unless you'd like to do something else, I'll assume that you all eventually make your way up out of the tunnel. For our home audience, everyone is nodding. You all make your way up out of that tunnel into the hallway. It looks like the majority of the the cells that you pass, like the prison cells that you pass, are empty as you make your way down. About 50 feet down the hallway, it opens up into a large room. There is some torchlight, some very low torchlight flickering in that room. Let's do a group defy danger dexterity. Ten. Ten? Nine. Ten. As a group, you guys are able to, like, sneak up pretty close, and you can see that the room opens up ahead of you is is circular. It's probably about 50 feet across, evenly spaced around the walls. You can see there are other hallways that break off of this one. You figure that there are eight hallways off of this central chamber. In the center of the room, there is a pedestal that looks like it has, like, a ship's wheel laying flat on it. From where you are, you can see, not directly across, but, like, directly across and slightly to the right, there's a pedestal with a large gemstone. It's about the size of, like, a bowling ball, um, just kind of, like, seated and secured atop of this pedestal. And you can hear down some of the other hallways, there's definitely, there's something moving down those other hallways. What would you like to do? I'm going to cast invisibility on myself. And, and your sister, because you love her. You're going to cast invisibility on everybody? Actually, let me just do it on myself. I want to go see what's down there. I say to Calico before I do it, I'll be right back. I whisper it in her ear. Okay. Then roll the cast. Twelve. That is good. So you turn invisible and make your way into the, the chamber. You're just kind of checking out the area. Yeah, I just want to see what I, you know, what, what what all is there. You see around this circular room, there are a number of panels 
in between each of the doorways, and they have two gems, like, embedded in them. They would look very much like ele- elevator door buttons, except they're, like, gems. Straight across the room from the, the one crystal pedestal, there's another one on the other side of the room. Go ahead and roll Discern Realities. Eight. So you get one question. What should I be on the lookout for? You're able to deduce that those panels on the wall are basically like lockdown panels. It looks like if you hit one of the gems, it either will lock down one of the hallways, like the hallway that it corresponds to, or it'll lock down the central column. And that central column, the one that has the ship's wheels on it, seems to be like a master control for all the rooms. So if somebody locks down the master control, it essentially locks down all the hallways. So you'll want to be on the lookout for somebody who hits one of those lockdown gems. Okay, can I keep going on? To that end, you also can see down most of the hallways have at least like one torch somewhere in them that's lit. Six of the eight hallways have torches in them. The one that doesn't is the one that you guys are in, and the one that is three hallways over to the right from like from where from where you all are. And you can see down three of the hallways, there is a shape or a shadow being cast by the what little torchlight there is. It is vaguely humanoid, but way more round. So it almost kind of looks like a very large beach ball with, like, stubby arms and legs. Well, you had my curiosity. Now you have my attention. I'd like to walk up closer. Okay. Roll a defy danger dexterity. Eleven. So you make your way down one of the hallways where the where these shapes are, and you're being incredibly quiet. So as you draw close, and like the torchlight is not nearly as helpful as it should be, not as helpful as you'd expect for torchlight to be. So you have to get much closer to these things than you would expect or that you would like. But eventually, this thing clarifies in the light. It is a very round shape, very stubby arms, almost like a penguin. If the penguin didn't have like a head, like if it just ended at its shoulders, at those shoulders are two big eyeballs, grapefruit-sized eyeballs that kind of protrude from this weird hump-type head. And then underneath those eyeballs is a big mouth that seems kind of like stretched from like one side to the other with huge gnarly teeth sticking out of them. There's no lips. It's just the teeth sticking out of the jaw. No good. That's no good. So this appears to be some type of probably like guard dog. Helping, helping friend. <laughs> I think it's nightmare. So there, are, so there are three of them down various hallways in this branching off of this central chamber. So and you are standing probably about seven feet away from one right now. What would you like to do? I'm gonna slowly back up because that gave Rackham nightmares. Believe it or not. Uh, and I'm going to walk back towards where my sister and, and new friends are at and report back. Okay. Uh, but before I stop, before, before I go there, I would like to, if I can, if I have enough time, uh, with a little marker I have or something, draw the, uh, the symbol of the yellow king. Okay. Yeah, you can do that. And then I'm going to walk back. Okay. So you tell them what you saw. Well, next time, just let us know, please, before you do I anything. I did. I did. Let, let the entire group know. She's the only one that's important, though. Mm. Isn't she your leader? Uh, um, we don't, we don't really have a leader, more of a 
Uh, really like a consensus here? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Greg, <laughs> I'm really sorry. Do these monster things look like they're ready to attack? Or are they, I, like, just hanging I didn't out? Get very close, only because that scared me. But you were invisible. Right. You get the sense that if you were not invisible and being so stealthy, that things would have gone very differently for you. Um, it's definitely not the sort of thing that you want to know that you're there. And I say to her what he just said. All right. <laughs> Only because we're not trying to cause a huge ruckus at the moment. Is there another hallway for us to go down, or are those the only three? There are seven other hallways. Three of them have those things in it. Do those things protect the way out? Is that our trick? You don't know. They <laughs> are certainly at least in position like you cannot move past them in the hallway where they are without them noticing you. Let's check out the other four hallways. Yeah. I agree with what he said again. So let's call your hallway number one, and then counterclockwise, it goes two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Hallways three, six, and eight have those things in them. Hallways four, eight, and seven have torches in them. Hallway two and hallway five do not seem to have either a creature or a torch in it. Four it is. Ooh, ooh. Why don't we... Calico, why don't we mm-hmm. send your your pet and see if it can find us a way up? Oh, yeah. We have the, the chinchilla can find a way out, right? It will try to follow whatever direction you give it. Tell it to find a set of stairs. Okay. And to report back. To the fourth floor. Yes. Find a way to the fourth floor and report back. Okay. Go ahead and roll 2d6. Eight. So it gives you a little squeak and heads off in the darkness. How long do you want to just sit and wait for it, or do you guys want to continue on? I think we should probably wait. But, I mean, we should probably keep up with it quietly. Yeah. Okay. So you follow the thing out into the central chamber, and it stops and sits up on its hind legs and, like, kind of, like, sniffs the air. It pauses on hallway four, hallway six, and hallway eight, and then heads down hallway six, which is one of the ones with the creatures in it. Also does not have a torch in it. It's like the worst option. It's almost like you got a partial success on that roll. (laughs) (laughs) Are we not following it? But we'll have to... We could follow it. You did tell it to come back and report to you, so you yeah. don't necessarily have to follow it. Oh, okay. So they'll, they'll find us. Well, I'd say just go down four and see if we can get anywhere. Sure. So you make your way down hallway four. Notice that there are no cells in the walls here. Like, the, the hallway is just solid walls on both sides. Until about halfway down, kind of right near where the torch is, there's a single, like, cell door in the wall. If you kind of, like, peek around that doorway to peer in, you see it's almost like a small, like, airlock-type area. There's another cell door, like, just about eight feet into that tunnel. And then on the other side of the second cell door, the room opens up, and there's a few more torches in there. You see a very luxuriant room. It's, it's carpeted. The The stone walls have been covered with tapestries to soften the room. There's at least two torches in the room. Right in from the doorway, you can see to the left, there is the edge of a table, 
and a chair pulled up to it. Um, there's also part of a bookshelf sticking out from that left side. There is a bureau, and it looks like a large wardrobe set in the corner. All this furniture is made of very dark, rich-looking wood inlaid with, like, scrolls of, like, a gold leaf, highly decorated. You also hear the the warm crackling of a fire. Guys, I don't like this. I don't like this one bit. Wardrobes scare the living shit out of me because you can go inside of it and be transported to a whole nother place. I mean, can uh, I try to get through the cell doors? Absolutely, you can try. Like, with my Ben doors thingy? Sure. There are locks, Anna. That I can pick? I'll let you try to pick a lock. Okay, I'll try to pick a lock. And the alarm sounds. <laughs> Twelve. When this is happening, I look at Quintus and I go, Hey, this one time when I was in Arthamore, oh. um, I went into this wardrobe and I was changed. I don't like talking about it, but I just thought I should tell somebody. Because you know how they say when you say things to people that they know more things about you? Um... <laughs> Anyway, Calico, you successfully picked the lock. As you do, as like uh, your pick, like it clicks into place and the door slides open very quietly and very easily. The cell door has been very well maintained. It's the the hinges are oiled. You notice there's not like any rust on it. Like this is it's like a almost brand new looking cell door. Given that role, like you also were able to pick the the second lock. It seems like the, the same key would work on the second lock, too. So as you pick that lock and the door starts to open, is our, you, like, coming in behind her? Is it just her by herself? What's kind of the setup I'll, here? I'll go with her. Um, I'll just stand on the outside of the doors. Yeah, I want to say I want to keep an eye out on the hall and make sure nothing comes out of it. Okay. I, I do look at Quinn before I go with her, and I go, I wish if something happens, I told you so. And then I turn around okay. and go and... So Hans and Quinn are guarding the hallway, and Calico and Rackham are heading into the room. Right. As you open the door, that second cell door into this room, and just have to start to peek into the room, you see a, uh, a fairly tall, broadly built human stand up from an overstuffed chair by this fireplace, and he puts a little ribbon into the book that he was reading and sets it on the table. He's wearing a very simple tunic, very simple pants, and tall, like, riding boots. He has a very well-groomed little goatee and mustache. His black hair is slicked back, and he sets the book on the, the table and, and looks at you and says, Hail and well met. It has been quite a while since I've had visitors. Are you the the, the witch or the lion? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, some certainly refer to me as the lion-hearted. Most people call me Aliado Casaro. Thank you for joining in our wild endeavors. And thank you to Kevin McLeod for the great music. Your support, the fact that you're listening to this now, and all the great messages and questions you've had for us are treasured moments that we will keep close for a long time. If you're excited for what's ahead, have been enjoying our adventures so far, or just feel like chatting, we'd love to hear from you. 
You can find us at Wild Endeavors on Twitter and Instagram. Reviews and ratings on your favorite podcast platform are the best way to bring new ears to our endeavors. But more than anything, I hope you share these adventures with a friend. A good story becomes even better when it's shared with someone you care about. So come back next week so we can share another story with you. First, I want to ask uh, my sister, was there any useful items that she has that she's not using that maybe I could use? Like, you know, maybe something they found in that, that church. <clears throat> what did I find in the church? I got a muzzle. I think you found a muzzle. You should probably give that to <laughs> <laughs> No. The Midnight Tears? That doesn't do anything, though. No, you found a, you guys found a bunch of stuff. Like, like you found, like, like, a spell focus or something like that, and... Uh, ring oh, of Revocation. Was I in that part? Because I don't remember anything. Yes. Yeah, you were there. Oh. Did anybody write the items down? Just, you know, for shits and giggles? That's what uh, Elman was for. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote the gold down. So I gave you guys a bunch of did. magic items that nobody wrote down. Okay. Well, I was dead. Why would I write them down? I, I'm pretty sure, like a majority of those were things that I couldn't use. So, yeah. So I didn't. So I didn't put them into Slack. Um, and if you guys didn't write them down, I'm tempted to say you guys just don't have them. <laughs> I hate you guys so much. I, could use I mean, I would someday. say I would have picked them up, but I mean, at the same time, I don't know what they do. So why would I have picked them up? <laughs> oh wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Uh, no, just kidding. Like I, I have a, I have a big gun that shoots bullets. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm just a simple man. <laughs> okay.